Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that's cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Recently, something big happened in Ontario an event that derailed transportation networks and shook daily lives for many families. Like a true leader, Premier Doug Ford sprang into action. He was on the front lines and went above and beyond his jurisdictional duties to show the people of the province that he had their backs. Got a few people out so far. I'm I'm fortunate enough, I got the Ford 150 4x4, so I got a tether in the back. My biggest thing is, on some of these cars, you try to get underneath them, I'm worried about pulling the bumper off. Doug Ford and his little red shovel broke the internet that day, an apt symbol for an embattled politician who was trying to get some good press for once, after letting Omicron rip through the province over the holidays, then belatedly shutting down schools and businesses during a dark and cold January. It was a very Rob Ford thing to do. In the absence of any systemic solutions through policy or infrastructure, just drive around helping people with their potholes or trees or whatever and hope word gets around. And as politics, quite frankly, it it does work. While Ontario didn't need Doug Ford to dig a few cars out of the snow or drive some random people home, the Premier said he wanted to do whatever he could to make sure everyday folks were safe. He wanted to be seen as a man of action. But fewer than two weeks later, when a lot of vehicles became stuck in place via circumstances that weren't naturally dissolved by an improvement in the weather, Doug Ford didn't really care or didn't really know how to dig out a whole city. Rather than offer leadership, assistance, and or assurance to the residents of Ottawa, a city he now describes as being under siege, Ford did what he more typically does in times of crisis. He went away and kept quiet. It wasn't until late last week, a few days after the same Freedom Convoy folks began occupying the road in front of the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, that Doug Ford's metaphorical shovel reappeared. The Premier's beloved supply chain had been ruptured, and the power of the state had to be deployed to cut off those convoys' resources and ensure they moved on, so that auto parts could continue peacefully flowing between Canada and the United States. So Ontario is once again open for business. For residents, well, not so much if you're someone who ordinarily lives in Ottawa, but if you're just kind of hanging out there and have at least one Canadian flag somewhere on your person... Ontario is very much open to you. 
I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land, and this month I'm more grateful than usual that I don't live in Ottawa. I'm Alison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today, and I kind of wish Doug Ford had been around when I had to shovel my car out of the snow last week. I I needed a push. And this is Wag the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. The day we're recording this marks day 18 of the freedom protesters occupying downtown Ottawa. Over the weekend, there were reportedly 4,000 demonstrators there, forcing many roads to shut down and businesses to close. They even had a hot tub and DJs and cover bands. Ford's message to the trucker convoy has been a bit murky. Before they landed, he said he supported the truckers and supported vaccines. But within a day or two of the occupation beginning, he was pretty clear that he didn't love it and wanted them to go home. Folks, there's, there's a million people that live in Ottawa. You know, I, I, I hear you. I hear the protesters. The province hears the protesters. The country hears the protesters. Now it's time to let the people in Ottawa get back to their lives. These businesses that have been closed for... The opposition parties at Queen's Park have also been trying to make hay out of this remark he made on the radio just before the convoy was set to come to Toronto for the first time a few weeks ago. Uh, We live in a democracy. If people want to come down and and protest, God bless them. I I understand their their frustration. I I really do. And I know the the people up in Ottawa, they found it very tough over the last few days, the small businesses and the restaurants, they can't open. But uh, hopefully we're we're all going to get through this together. I'd say that clip is not great, but... It's a far cry from what the federal conservatives have been doing to show their support for protesters, like Pierre Polyev bringing them coffee and donuts and Andrew Scheer giving them a thumbs up sign. Although if Doug Ford had to walk by these guys every day, I feel like he probably would have given them a thumbs up sign at some point, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, he wouldn't be able to help himself. A few new developments happened this morning, a few hours before we recorded this, and we should probably discuss those off the top. Namely, Doug Ford announced Ontario's vaccine passport system is coming to an end on March 1st, so about two weeks from now. Other capacity limits on businesses and sporting events are going to be increased or lifted in a few days. The premier says he's not kowtowing to the protesters in Ottawa, that these moves were recommended by Chief Medical Officer of Health Dr. Kieran Moore. Which is true to an extent. Uh, Moore has said that a vax pass that only requires two shots is pretty useless because those people can still transmit and catch Omicron. A vax pass that required booster shots, on the other hand, would would still be quite effective, Moore says. But it's clear there's no political will from within the Ford government to do that. Well, Ford did discuss the positivity rate declining. And the hospitalization numbers declining as well. He also spent uh, a bit of time talking about how the health measures have divided Ontarians. One of the hardest things about this pandemic is the way it's fractured us as a society. Differing views about government policies. The limits of personal freedoms. Different views about vaccines. 
public health measures, and what steps are necessary. All of it has polarized us in a way that we could have never imagined. I've experienced this in my own family. It's been one of the hardest things my family and I have ever gone through. As far as we can tell, that's the first time he's ever directly referenced uh, conflicts with his own daughter or daughters uh, over this stuff, which is sort of, you know, been at the margins of this for not the whole time, but about a good year and a half now. As you were saying about Ford wanting to be liked, these moves from earlier today do seem to be part of that play. You know, he's saying, I'm getting rid of the divisive thing or things like let's all get along, Ontarians. But if we look to the West, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney also dropped public health restrictions last Monday. And despite that, the Coots border crossing to Montana remains blockaded. I mean, Ford made a point of saying that he's they're not dropping these restrictions because of the protesters, but rather in spite of them. And I'm not really sure how exactly how that what he means by that. So while Ford, like us, has been safely ensconced in southern Ontario, the protest in Ottawa successfully congealed into an occupation, seemingly becoming more organized and entrenched with each passing day of official indifference. Because, you know, whether Doug Ford likes it or not, Ottawa is part of the province of which he's premier, and it's the second largest city in the province. It's true that Doug Ford isn't much of an Ottawa file. Since becoming premier, I would hazard that he's visited the capital fewer than 15 or maybe even fewer than 10 times. You know, once he went there because there was a flood, another time he went when there was a tornado, and at least once he went to announce funding for their LRT, which has incidentally turned out to be a huge debacle and led the Ford government to launch a public inquiry into its procurement process. So, but I mean, look, 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 if you look up, if you think about the darkest days in the modern history of Canada's big cities, they've, you know, usually been marked by excesses of the state. Think, you know, the October crisis, the G20. I can't really think of another time, you know, when we've seen what we're seeing right now, a situation in which residents overwhelming impression is one of wholesale abandonment by the state. The idea that the state can't or won't intervene to assert its citizens' right to a minimum quality of life. And once again, I'm talking about Canada's big cities here. Goodness knows there are significant chunks of the country and many reserves that have long felt and been abandoned. Um, For all this talk about cutting red tape, even having an associate minister with that task in her title... Doug Ford has not been shy about tightening the grip of the government when it suits him, but he also hasn't been shy about being shy when he can hope the Prime Minister soaks up the blame for something instead. And that's something we've seen again and again throughout the pandemic. Anytime the province has been accused of inaction, the PCs try to pin the blame on the federal government. The vaccine rollout was a mess, the problem must be federal government procurement. A new variant is spreading uncontrolled through vulnerable populations— Well, Ottawa should have shut the borders. It's not clear if Doug Ford forgot that Ottawa was part of Ontario, or if he was just counting on the fact that most people associate it with Justin Trudeau. So, like, my dog is bizarrely indifferent about our cat eating his food. I mean, any chance she gets, she'll stroll over and, you know, munch on it while he takes, you know, a few steps towards her and lies down, watching patiently. Like, he doesn't so much consider it his food as just some bowl that's been left on the floor for anyone to help themselves to. And if the cat wants it so much, you know, she, you know, why not? She can have it. And so, you know, it's up to my partner and myself to 
shoe door away. And I feel like that's kind of Doug Ford's approach to Ottawa, the city. I just don't think he sees it as his thing. For all that Toronto gets dicked around by the province, at least MPPs remember we exist. They all either live here or have to schlep here and spend about half the year in a rented apartment somewhere downtown, after all. It's almost too easy for them, and frankly the rest of us, to regard it like Washington, D.C., you know, a creature of the federal government and pretty much theirs to deal with. Which is super convenient when you'd rather it be someone else's problem. This is true. And you know who else likes to pin things on Trudeau? Well, the federal conservative party. And being the official opposition, that is, you know, very much their job. But we're kind of papering over a big difference here. While Ford was in hiding, the the federal conservatives, or at least their interim leader and a bunch of their more prominent MPs, have actively encouraged the convoy. I don't think that distinction can be strictly chalked up to the 350 kilometers that divide Toronto and Ottawa. Well, I mean, I guess the federal conservatives, the the fact is that they aren't in government. They're the opposition and can, you know, kind of do whatever. And a whole lot of them surely represent ridings where the convoy is broadly popular, certainly among the conservatives there. Whereas the PCs in Ontario seem to rely on a more somewhat shakier coalition. The PCs try to cater to both suburban and rural areas without alienating either, and it, you know, doesn't... It's 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 a tricky thing to, to make work. So on an issue like this, I'm not too surprised that they think that doing nothing is safer than doing anything, politically speaking. Although it, of course, also probably, you know, helps that they've already jettisoned the more extreme members of their caucus. Yeah, so... I mean, unlike the federal conservatives who are railing against vaccine mandates on a daily basis, Doug has instead kicked out basically every MPP who's ever publicly questioned his COVID restrictions. That means we now have a loose handful of anti-vax or anti-mandate MPPs at Queen's Park, and some of them have formed their own parties and plan to run against the PCs in the next election. This is a bit of an aside, but I think it's worth going into some detail here because it's interesting and it tells you a bit about Ford's approach to power. The funny part about the um, ex-nade, excommunicated MPPs is that they all really hate each other and are completely incapable of organizing in any way that would actually mount an electoral challenge to the PCs. For example, Belinda Carahalios, who's the co-founder and sole MPP of the New Blue Party. That's actually what it's called. This is not just a clever turn of phrase. <laughs> Her husband, Jim Carahalios, is the party's leader. He's long been a thorn in the side of the Ontario PCs. Um, but, you know, the New Blue Party is constantly kind of sending out email updates to their supporters And about, like, I'd say a quarter of the content of the ones I've read is just about how Belinda is is braver and more principled than Randy Hillier, uh, who's another ousted MPP who formed his own separate Ontario First Party. Um, He tweeted his appreciation of our last episode of Wag the Dog, which was the one about Ford advisors Nick Kuvalis and Corey Tunike. And it was kind of one of those occasions when you get like an earnest compliment, but you can still feel icky about it just because of who it comes from. Hillier's definitely the most radical of the excommunicated Tories. He's been at the Ottawa Convoy the entire time. On the weekend, he hosted an 
a, a pancake breakfast with the People's Party of Canada and Maxime Bernier. Uh, it was actually called the Flat and the Fear Pancakes, Free Fearless Pancakes in support of the Freedom oh. Convoy. All day Sunday. Um, How often do you have the opportunity to put pancakes and fear, not just in the same sentence, but next to each other? I am in favor of this fearful pancake terror breakfast. I feel like flipping for freedom might have been a way to go, but they, they no, went to a pl- no, place yeah. of fear. <laughs> she was using, she's gone all the way and used flapjack. Flatten the fear, flatten the fear, flapjack, uh, fl- uh, fling. Freedom. The flatten the, the, flat the fear, flapjack, fling. God goodness, it makes me want to throw an event. Um, <laughs> we'll do it, it right. Uh, we'll close down some streets. <laughs> Apparently nobody minds. Um, well, he, he, you know, in addition to his uh, fearless flipping, he has the tendency to, to say things that are pretty unbecoming of a politician. Um, a really awful thing he did actually recently was he's, he's of the mind that the vaccine has been killing people that get it. Um, and he, I guess, was sharing and propagating some anti-vaccine content about people in Ontario, young people in Ontario that died and saying that they died from the vaccine when in fact they did not. They died from various other reasons and sharing that and their their families kind of found this and were incredibly upset, as you can imagine, um, that that their loved ones, you know, untimely deaths were being used to propagate by a, by a sitting politician, um, you know, propagate anti-vaccine sentiment. He also recently called federal transport minister Omar Al-Gabra a terrorist and did a strange TV interview with RT or Russia Today, after which he tweeted, Russian news provides a platform for objective journalism while Canadian mainstream media creates fabrications. His radicalization is interesting because He's been an MPP since 2007. So at Queen's Park, we've all known the guy for more than a decade. He was always a bit of a kook, lots of landowners' rights energy. But before the pandemic, his most notable cause was vaping. He would give speeches in the legislature about how it helped him quit smoking and shouldn't be further regulated for adults, which earned him the nickname Vape Daddy. So he was less buttoned up than many of his colleagues, but, you know, mainly harmless. But I mean, that, that's just sort of that's sort of the type of person who's gone down that path in the past few years. And I've made this point before on the show, but, you know, I, I really don't doubt that Doug Ford would have also gone down that path if there were any reason at all to believe that he spent any time on the Internet. Another kicked out MPP who falls into Hillier's camp is Rick Nichols. Uh, he's also been at Queen's Park for more than a decade. After refusing to get vaccinated, he's taken to doing interviews with the rebel and has now joined the Ontario Party, not to be mistaken with the Ontario First Party, Mm. uh, which is led by Derek Sloan, a former member of Parliament who was also kicked out of that uh, CPC caucus a little while ago. The last kicked out MPP I want to note is Roman Babber, He was ixnayed from the PCs just over a year ago for being publicly against lockdowns. Now, last week, he held a news conference at Queen's Park where he railed against vaccine mandates for the nth time. But what was interesting about it is basically everything he was saying, you know, that the people shouldn't lose their job over health choices and that lockdowns are bad for mental health, is almost verbatim what the federal Tories have been saying every day in question period. 
Obviously, that party's in shambles right now, whereas the Ontario PCs have an election they want to win coming up in a few months. And the fact, you know, when I think about it, I think it's honestly the fact that Doug Ford appears quite likely to win that election is what's keeping the remaining caucus in line. You know, winning or the prospect of it shuts everyone up. That's that's true. So long as the Ford F-150 can keep getting traction, most of the party will be glad to stay tethered to it. Right up, right up to the moment, the, the bumpers are all pulled off. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Okay, let's get back to Convoy Talk. We've established that Doug hasn't acted with a lot of urgency when it comes to Ottawa being under siege. But he did bust out his little red shovel to clear another occupation, the one outside the Ambassador Bridge. So yeah, the the multi-day shutdown of the biggest trade artery between the U.S. and Canada didn't really sit well for a premier who, within seven months of taking office, had large open-for-business signs installed at the province's border crossings. So last Wednesday... Uh, a week before you're hearing this, a number of Ford and Toyota automotive plants had to either halt or scale down their production lines because parts were trapped in Michigan, which, uh, you know, fucked with the supply chain. When the means of production are at stake, the shovels come out. Unsurprisingly, the premier immediately started facing pressure from the automotive industry and business groups, plus the mayor of Windsor, to do something. This initiated some jurisdictional ping pong between Ontario and the feds, Because while the actual border is the federal government's jurisdiction, the protesters were actually on a road in front of the bridge, meaning either Ontario or the municipality had to take care of it. And the most interesting part to me was the White House of it all. According to reports, by Thursday afternoon, the Joe Biden administration was urging the Canadian government to take action and offering the full support of the Department of Homeland Security. While I'm sure that pressure was directed at Trudeau more so than Ford, I I don't have any proof that Ford was on a phone call with Homeland Security, although I, I can't rule it out. I can't help but think about how Mel Lastman never lived down having to call in the army to Toronto for a snowstorm. If you're the premier that let U.S. Homeland Security come in and start policing Ontario, you're fucked. On Thursday, the provincial government took a somewhat unexpected approach to all this, making a court application under an obscure section of the criminal code to, in effect, freeze the many millions of dollars that had been pledged to the convoy on Give, Send, Go, the American far-right fundraising platform that stepped in when GoFundMe no longer wanted anything to do with any of this. At first, Give, Send, Go was comically defiant. Uh, Their initial response was a tweet that, with big supervillain energy, began, Know this! Canada has absolutely zero jurisdiction over how we manage our funds here at Give, Send, Go. Which they later clarified to mean they were seeking a legal way to get the the funds to the the intended recipients. 
But uh, as of the day we're recording this, however, Give Send Go has has some has some bigger issues to deal with. Um, hackers took the site offline Sunday night, uh, but not before making off with what very much appears to be a complete list of the convoy campaign's donors, which are being made available to journalists and researchers. Um, yeah, as an approach by the Ford government, on the one hand, is like pretty low-hanging fruit to just freeze the funds, but on the other hand, it's kind of creative. So like a creative low-hanging fruit, like, I don't know, maybe a Loganberry or something. Yeah, that was the moment that made it clear the PCs were going to do something, at least about the border, because really all week up until that, they were just casting the convoys as Trudeau's problem. Earlier that same day, actually, there was a committee meeting at Queen's Park that government House Leader Paul Calandra appeared at. Um, it's a special committee that as long as there's emergency orders in place in Ontario as kind of a mm. transparency check on power type of thing, the PCs promised they would appear, have a minister appear before the committee uh, as a representative of the premier uh, to kind of just defend why some emergency orders still exist. So that committee just happened to be scheduled last week. And of course, the convoys uh, got discussed. So Paul Calandra really was saying that the border's Ottawa's problem and kind of rejecting any ideas the opposition had to try to tackle the protests. He also gave this quote, which I found pretty striking. Uh, The rule of law and the authority of state uh, will prevail. It's just the way it is. Uh, There should be no ambiguity about that. I don't like the protesters, but didn't that come off as slightly chilling? Like very saying the quiet part loud. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> for the people in Ottawa was, who felt abandoned, it was, it, if they'd heard it, it would probably, you know, feel reassuring, which is always like an odd thing to like, to be in that situation where you're kind of like, oh, thank goodness the state will intervene. Because I mean, I, you know, yeah, generally speaking, I like the state, but when the state is just like casually talking about, oh, yes, we'll use force and we will win. Yeah, yeah that, that should by definition be creepy. And so then you, know, you find myself, you know, you find yourself challenge, you know, questioning your own presumptions about your own sympathies and inclinations when you're like, oh, thank God the, the people with guns are here. That's, that's an always a very, very, very odd position to be in. And I don't really wish over policing on on anyone, but I'm also, you know, on another hand, glad for the state to assert itself to an extent. It's an odd thing. Um, so on Friday, Ford gave what was at first actually one of the better speeches he's given in his time as premier, kind of called back to his early pandemic gravitas. None of this has been easy. People are frustrated, they're scared, they're angry. And I know these frustrations have reached a boiling point for many Canadians. Where it's like, okay, he sounds serious. He's got the right emotional heft here. He's coming off as the adult in the room. It's It's a super, super fucking low bar. But I did find myself, I, I did find myself thinking like, okay, this, this, does challenge my assumptions about what Doug Ford would be like as premier. It was one of one of those speeches where it's like, okay, this is not exactly the same guy who was at Toronto City Hall. This is more like it, it's not as it's not nearly as chaotic as feared. And then you know the press conference wasn't even over before the the entire premise of it just got demolished in in two questions. 
Hi, good morning, Premier Colin DeMello from CTV News. Premier, CTV News has obtained photos of you in cottage country. We've spoken with people who took pictures with you who say you were snowmobiling on Saturday, Premier. Can you explain why you decided to go snowmobiling during a stated insurrection and siege in Ottawa? Let me make it very clear, Colin. I've been on this phone almost 24-7, along with the Premiers, U.S. Ambassadors, the Governor, the Prime Minister, around the clock. Make no mistake, I have been engaged from the second this has happened, and I'll be continuing being engaged with the, the authorities that we need to talk to. Were you snowmobiling on Saturday in cottage country while the, Ottawa was under siege, as you say? I was at the cottage. I went out on my snowmobile. I take calls till one o'clock in the morning. I get calls before six o'clock in the morning and I will not stop until we get this taken care of. Immediately after the press conference, CTV publish their story online, complete with just just the perfect photos, that just the, exactly what you'd imagine. And of course, at that, I was like, there we go. That's the Ford we know and don't really tolerate, but uh, have no choice but to put up with to some extent. Seeing Ford in that snowsuit, which like kind of looked like it must have been from the 80s or 90s with that like pink and blue kind of neon streaks on it. That and, and and the chatter about how Trudeau also went cross-country skiing the same weekend really just made me realize how much I hate winter sports and winter leisure activities in general. They're just not fun. Everyone pretends they're fun. They're not fun. I mean, I like watching the Winter Olympics, but yeah, no. I feel like, like doing winter sports, that's like for people who like feeling hot and cold at the same time. Um, at at the, the press conference, Ford also announced there would be, uh, you know, new emergency powers. Uh, under yet another declaration of emergency uh, from the province, the first one not directly related to COVID being out of control. And uh, eventually, you know, when the regulation came out, that clarified it a bit somewhat, somewhat, but basically it's new laws that make it extra legal uh, to uh, block uh, the ordinary use of critical infrastructure, which they describe as like 400 series highways, airports, hospitals, canals, apparently. I didn't know a lot of canal blockages. Um, ports, railways, uh, and also to, uh, you know, blocking highways. So this is the thing. No person shall impede access. So no block a highway or there are any use of it, uh, you know, where that has the effect of preventing the delivery of essential goods or services. Okay causing a serious interference with the self, safety, health, or well-being of members of the public. Okay. And then the third one, however, is if it has the effect of severely disrupting ordinary economic activity. And that's the one um, that, 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 that seems to be very, very, very uh, broadly defined. Or not really even defined at all, but it's not hard to imagine lots of different ways that could be interpreted and applied to shut down all kinds of things. Now, this is an emergency order. It's uh, scheduled to be revoked on February 26th. It may be renewed, but in any case, this is temporary. But, you know, Ford also hinted that there's something more permanent coming down the pipe. And uh, I guess now that pipe, uh, pipe can't be blocked. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting because so that's something Jason Kenney did back in, I think, 2020. Mm -hmm. So and this was like not pandemic related, 
his government, the UCP, passed a Critical Infrastructure Defense Act, um, which basically does all of the things in those temporary orders. Uh, The interesting part of which is they have a blockade in their province, too. And I think one fella has gotten arrested uh, under that act now. Um, But they've had a blockade for for two weeks. And so I guess, yeah, I mean, bills are cool. But if police aren't enforcing them, well... But um, yeah, but 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 Ontario does have something like that for like pigs, right? Going pigs going to slaughterhouses, where like that's is illegal to obstruct that because they specifically went after the pig safe people. Yeah, they did do something like that. I haven't thought about it in a while, but yeah, I guess uh, messing with pigs that are about to be slaughtered mm-hmm. is is yeah. off the table in Ontario. Yeah, I wonder if it counts as yeah tortious interference with pigs. I hope it, I hope the law frames it that way. Now, given that the PC's main talking point on the occupations has really been that the government cannot direct the police, Solicitor General Sylvia Jones has said this in multiple statements. Ford has said that. The premier's office has said it. So what do you make of the police in Windsor, you know, eventually after these emergency orders were passed by the province, after this injunction um, that the city of Windsor and some auto companies filed after that came into force? The the police, you know, they did act to clear the protesters. And, and again, it was right after Doug Ford told them to. I guess, you know. I'm not saying Ford directed the police, but is it also kind of disingenuous for governments to say they have no power to direct the police and then simultaneously, you know, get in front of an audience and say, go home and there will be consequences? I mean, you know, <laughs> the word direct, all, you know, does does a lot of work there. I mean, that a government that, you know, but, but that a government can't direct the police is prop maybe the most reliable excuse in all of Canadian politics because because absolutely everyone agrees with the principle you do not want enforcement of laws to be at the whims of politicians but you know there's a difference between directing and nudging I mean governments cannot and should not direct instruct or give orders to the police the way they shouldn't meddle in like you know a judicial decision but no one's under the illusion that policing or judging for that matter, takes place in a vacuum and that, you know, police force isn't at least somewhat aware of the expectations that the people in charge and the public at large have for it. Of course, you know, the police force can still choose not to care what anyone thinks. And then there's, you know, there's always enough plausible deniability to go around. You know, I sort of assume it's like trying to get a cat to do what you want, you know, such as, you know, maybe eating her own damn food instead of the dogs. You know, you can establish conditions that encourage certain outcomes but 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 ultimately she's she's just she's she's gonna do it do what you want you got to keep your eye on her. Throughout the pandemic, Canada's premiers all kind of picked slightly different priorities for responding to it, even if they didn't say them out loud. Quebec Premier Francois Legault prioritized keeping schools open, framing curfews in places like Montreal as as a trade off for that. While BC Premier John Horgan's government tried to prioritize long term care homes. And Alberta Premier Jason Kenney prioritized making sure the Calgary Stampede was fun. None of these went perfectly or even great, but the tactics were at least overt. Doug Ford, on the other hand, was all over the place. Uh, And, you know, that resulted in Ontario having basically the longest lockdown on the planet. 
But even though he never said so, it seems clear to me that his top priority was supply chains. He refused to close factories and warehouses at virtually any point. He made sure outbreaks in these locations were kept under wraps. He was sheepish on paid sick days. The thinking seems to have been, we can lock down the population for months and months and months, but in exchange, they'll still be able to get whatever they want from Amazon in the grocery store. That's why it's so fascinating that this bridge occupation became the thing that threw a wrench in that. We don't know how many people died because they caught COVID via workplace before vaccines became available, but it's likely thousands. Those people were sacrificed so that we could online shop, but a few bozos near a bridge were the ones who actually managed to bring the supply chain to a halt. I mean, the thing to remember about Ford is that everything is about the concrete, the immediate, the specific, the low-hanging fruit, the pulling out your shovel to dig cars out of a snowbank. If there's a clear, evident chain of cause and effect, he can wrap his head around it. If a car gets stuck in the snow, you shovel away the snow. If people block one specific road, you shovel away the people. Anything more than that gets lost in a morass of abstraction and doesn't really get addressed because it's beyond his capacity to conceive. Allison, you mentioned Ontario having some of the longest lockdowns ever anywhere. Like, while in many ways I'm grateful for the blunt public health measures, at this point I think we also have to kind of acknowledge that they represent a bit of a failure to build out the public health infrastructure necessary to allow those lockdown measures and extreme measures to be employed more judiciously. You know, widespread access to better masks, improved ventilation in schools and other public places, publicly distributed rapid tests, PCR testing and contract tracing that could actually keep up with surge demand. Two years into a pandemic, and what do we have to show for it? Not nothing, thankfully. Most of us are vaccinated and have become accustomed to wearing masks indoors. But, you know, big pieces, the ones that get assembled in the background and may never show a clear straight line of cause and effect, are still missing, and we can probably now assume they're never going to come. Unless they're ordered via Amazon. In which case, God bless them. And now it's time for... Foreseeable Disaster of the Month! Allison, what is your foreseeable disaster this month? You know, I foresee now that vaccine passports are, are going away ostensibly in a couple weeks. I oh, I foresee just the news cycle that could, oh, I mean, hopefully not inevitably come when there's discussion about whether or not they should bring them back. And, you know, just more of this breaking. Doug Ford's going to make an announcement tomorrow. Breaking. Sources say vaccine passports could be back on the agenda. Breaking. You know, I just can't do this anymore. It's been too many years of, you know, just this public health uh, cyclical, annoying ass (laughs) announcement cycle. And I just... I want it if the pandemic is ending is uh, can be played out in, in in any way that would, you know, take some stress off my back. It would be no more of this. No more Doug Ford announcements about changing rules. Please, please, please. I mean, you could just like go ahead and change the rules without announcing it. That'd be fun. Um 
this kind of leads into my foreseeable disaster, which is um, so Doug Ford is, so, you know, he, he said that they're going to bring in new legislation that will basically, I mean, we'll, we'll see what it says, but the idea is to entrench the, uh, the, the, the nature of the emergency orders or the nature of the critical infrastructure protection orders or whatever you want to call it that he brought in under the emergency powers. Um, and so, you know, as I said, as we said, that's basically about, you know, protecting airports and canals and highways and ports and stuff and making sure that no one's blocking it. I mean, it's, 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 it's very, very easy to see uh, how that law would be used against protesters of all sorts since frankly you know disruption is often a part of protest and you know that's one reason why it's sometimes hard to figure out like where is the line should there be a line yeah there's there's definitely a line but you know it's not always a clear place so you know indigenous protesters or those expressing in solidarity with indigenous protesters who've blocked rail lines in the past few years you know that would obviously be used against them you know, similar laws are brought in in the UK, specifically to crack down on Extinction Rebellion for, uh, you know, holding up rush hour in those cases, you know, like severely disrupting ordinary economic activity. That 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 language really makes me uncomfortable because th- that could be fucking anything, right? Um, I mean, well, once again, we'll see what's actually in the law, the, the bill when it's when it's introduced, but it's it's pretty easy to see how this is going to be used and you know we we all know what types or groups of people police are more enthusiastic about enforcing the law against than 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 others putting this on the books or kind of back on the books since a similar thing was repealed after it was abused at the g20 uh yeah it, it definitely ratchets up the stakes for for protests such as like the you know various indigenous solidarity protests that have uh, obstructed rail lines in the past few years um i, I can only imagine what will happen if police have uh even more authority to uh crack down on those And that was Wag the Dog, a show about flattening the fear while flinging pancakes. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at Queenspark Today. I'm Jonathan Goldsby, and you can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. Kevin Sexton produced this episode. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley with additional music by Kevin Sexton. Our podcast is listener-supported. If you like what we do, support us for just five bucks a month at wagthedog.com, or, you know, click on the link in the show notes. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show 
and we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.